Welcome back to American Graffiti, one song at a time. I am your DJ, Rachel Mummert, and with me today is Duncan Shields. He's the host of Tronologically Speaking, a movie-by-minute podcast that covers 1982's movie version of Tron. Hey there. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yep. Thank you for being our guest here. Yeah. And of special note, my very first solo trip here, so... (laughs) Oh, wonderful. Well, this is going to be fun. And today we will be talking about Minute 17, which unfortunately is one of those rare minutes where we have no songs to discuss. Yeah. Instead, we will talk about Kurt and Wendy and their conversation in the um, school gym parking lot. Good old Kurt and Wendy. Yeah. I watched this movie for, I think, maybe the first time in preparation for doing these minutes. Oh, good. Me too. This, um, before doing the podcast, I mean, obviously, I've, I had heard of the movie and generally what it was about, but I had never sat down and actually watched it. So, yeah. I'm glad I'm not alone there. <laughs> I, yeah, because I I think I saw it. I think my dad tried to show it to me when I was a kid and I was like, you know, super into Star Wars Oh, yeah. Right? So, I was like, oh, George Lucas directed other films? Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> uh, this I got to see. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, frankly, I was really, really bored, right? Except for the bit where they take off the cop's axle with the chain or whatever. That was like, <laughs> that's, that's in my brain as a small pocket of action. But the rest of it was just talking and I was like, I don't, I don't understand. And this movie kind of, kind of missed me for a number of reasons and Part of it's that I, I wasn't alive in the 50s. So I don't, this film comes packed with nostalgia that I don't have. And mm-hmm. uh, that uh, small town America, cruising for girls, you know, <laughs> uh, all about the cars and the music. And I'm sure that if, if you were 45 in 1973 or something, watching this must have just brought tears to your eyes. Like, finally, someone's captured that beautiful moment in my life that happened, you know, all those, you know, years ago or whatever. But uh, as somebody, who wasn't around then I can but as an older as like you know now that I'm older I can watch the movie and and sort of get it oh yeah you appreciate it more as you as you go through as you pass have already passed through that stage yeah of life yeah and I'm sort of looking at it from more of a, a filmmaker point of view and more of mm-hmm. a you know like a that, that sort of podcast taking it apart and looking at the different pieces kind of view I get it like I get why it was such a big deal I think it, it probably I would say it probably changed filmmaking a little bit with that whole you know wall-to-wall music like this yeah. literally is one of the only minutes with no songs in it yeah, there's right. very few. And in the behind the scenes on the DVD I was watching, they were saying that it was that was a real sticking point. That was a hard sticking point for them. Was like a lot of people were saying no to it because they were like, "This has like music in every single scene." Mm-hmm. And uh, so they were like, "What are you? What are you doing? Like this is? <laughs> I don't know if this is going to work." But someone finally said yes. It's good they did. Oh yeah, and I think just the type of music that he used that kind of created a revolution in soundtracks themselves mm-hmm. in you know the oldies it was kind of unheard of before then 
Yeah, because then after that, the soundtrack for the movie for like, uh, oh gosh, like The Big Chill. Yeah. Uh, like all, all these movies came out where they were just like, or Good Morning Vietnam, where the soundtrack was was half of that. They even like, even on the uh, on the Tron, they tried to shoehorn Journey into 1982's Tron because they were like, we can't just have weird synthesizer music. We got to have some hits. We got to mm-hmm. have like a big song to like sell the soundtrack, you know, and it, it didn't Definitely. work, but they were just trying the soundtrack became you know a factor to take into consideration probably after this film and again the soundtrack itself it adds to the nostalgic factor of the movie i mean yeah. you can tie the movie and the soundtrack in and it's just like like you said you know if you grew up during the 50s it was probably just like bam you're right back there <laughs> right back there yeah and it's almost like the movie kind of it's almost like it goes in and out of being diegetic sound you know mm-hmm. like it's just around you know like it's just around it's on the radio it's at the the sock hop it, it's just you're hearing covers of it you're, you're it's just the background to every conversation that you have has yeah. these, this music going on so it kind of plays out it's almost like a documentary feel when i was so uh, when i was watching it you know i was like this isn't uh it didn't feel like a quote unquote movie it felt like i was just hanging around with these guys for a saturday night yeah and even i know we had talked about when we did the first five parts of you know the movie even the way it starts you know just kind of gradually the fade into the music and like you know you have the wolfman jack that kind of yeah so it is very just that and the music mixed together it's just like this is like a whole saturday night radio show that just has (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i just oh just thinking about the cars too. I talked about that a little bit. Oh yeah, you could do an entire podcast just on the cars. I know, because <laughs> just comparing them to like, well, you know, what we have today, it's like, man, those cars back then were just class and style all of their own that you yeah. just don't see anymore. <laughs> it really has disappeared, and I understand the need for, I guess, uh, safety and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know mileage and and designing them in a wind tunnel so that they have less air friction or whatever. But there, I, th- I feel like there's got to be some. I hope is some middle ground we come back to. You know, where they're like, I remember there's this YouTube video of a, like a 19. 19- 50 Cutlass Supreme or something like that in a crash test with a 2005 Subaru. And the Subaru is tiny and this this other car is like, the boat is just like, you know, ton and a half iron whale. But when they crash into each other, the Subaru driver can walk away with scratches. But the the giant massive car, the the driver ends up with the engine block like in his lap, like he's a hundred percent dead. Like wow. so, you'd think it would be the other way around. You think they yeah. build them, you build them out of steel that they would be like these indestructible battleships, but they were actually really dangerous in crashes so now with your crumple zones and everything like the car disintegrates when you crash but it absorbs all the impact so that you're okay so that's kind of i think part of why cars look like they look too but everybody talks about they should make electric versions of a 1975 trans am they should make electric versions of a, of a, a lamborghini Countach or a 1954 vet you know or like a yeah. studebaker commander and i i don't think anybody's done that no it'd be hard with more of the muscle type cars making them electric i would think yeah you, you can't really you can't really <laughs> rev. Them. yeah you can't really rev your you know rev yeah. your engine yeah. or anything you know you're at a stoplight and the car is just silent it's not a <laughs> it's not the same deal right 
Because I remember my grandpa had a green Superbird, and my dad said that was probably one of those cars that you never forget. Yeah. And he wished, because he had that car for a while, my dad did, but I think once kids came into the picture and he had to sell it, and he's just like, I wish I would never have sold it. <laughs> yeah. Because he can't find those ever. <laughs> no. I remember when I was a kid in the in the 80s anyway, my dad had an old 1966 Pontiac Parisienne, oh. and I think that was the largest mass-produced engine block ever. And uh, I could lie down without curling up in the in the <laughs> trunk and I'm like I'm six and a half feet tall right this thing you could get it going so fast like accidentally you'd just be cruising along and be like oh my god I'm 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 way over the speed limit like <laughs> it's just the momentum of the thing and it's such a smooth ride then but uh yeah I could see parking it was ridiculous the thing took up so much space <laughs> So, kind of getting into, I guess, our section here. Yeah. Where we have Kurt and Wendy with everything that kind of happened before and how Kurt seems out in the parking lot. I kind of wonder if this is where his mindset begins to change, where he's really starting to rethink his decision mm -hmm. about being so gung-ho about not going away to school. Yeah. Because I kind of get the feeling both ways. I mean, when Wendy asks him how he's doing, he's just like, you know, fine, great. And he says it, you know, just in just the manner that Kurt is. He's just very deadpan, kind of. But, you know, when she asks, you know, hey, I heard you're going away to school. He's like, maybe, maybe, you know, so he's waffling there. Yeah. And then I love her reaction, you know. She's like, same old Kurt. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, when we were going out, it was the same thing. You could never yeah. decide what you wanted to do. And I love that it's, like, it's strange because they're, they're exes. Yeah. And that sounds like that was probably an an issue as it would be in a in a relationship if you're with somebody who never knows what they want to do. It can be, well, give me a call when you do know, you know, like yeah. and, but they seem like they're still pals. Like it's all just oh, oh man. I yeah, <laughs> you were always indecisive. And it's not it's not a a burn or a sting, but you could tell it it was it maybe hurts her a little bit and I can tell that he maybe Maybe didn't even really realize that about himself, maybe. Oh, yeah. You know, he's kind of like, oh, I, gosh, I guess, yeah, I guess you're right. And this is me just being indecisive again. And, and then she goes to leave and he says, can I come with you? Yeah. Right? Which is not, I was, I was kind of like, wait a second, this is your, you know, I just love that they have had a relationship, but they didn't split up in some acrimonious disaster. And now they, they hate each other's guts and it's really tense. And that's what surprised me. They're just pals. And then, and then, and then she, like, she burns him a little. Like, oh, you're super indecisive. Anyway, I'm going to leave. <laughs> and he's like, oh, can I come? It's like, wow, this is so nice. It's such, it's such a nice minute. And in watching, like I watched this minute before I watched the entire film and then I watched the entire film. And I'm, I literally think this might be my favorite part of the movie. This might be my favorite minute of the film because it, yeah, it's got no music for, for a change, but it's also like a, like a short film. This is like a little, it's like a little short mini film by itself. It is. You know, where I don't need the background on Kurt. I don't need the background on Wendy. Just everything you need is in this scene. Exactly. You kind of get you kind of get the gist of them as a whole, their relationship, yeah. them as individuals. It's like this minute, it's all there. Yeah. And like you said, it is nice that they 
had dated at one time and, you know, she can get her dig in and she's not meaning it in a rude, mean way. And he doesn't mm-hmm. see it as such. You know, he's like, yeah, like he's, you know, okay, I guess I am indecisive and they can still, it's just like water off a duck's back. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like it was kind of almost, you know, affectionate. Uh, and I just love her opening line, you know, to stealing hubcaps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was really curious about that because I'm like, was that, <laughs> like, was that a thing? And I guess from what I I, I did some basic, very basic, like, hey, I'm just going to Google and see what I come up with research. And I guess it was just, especially back then with the way cars were made and hubcabs were made, they were a lot easier to get off of the car wheels back then. And people would sell them back to junkyards, whereas nowadays they're more locked into the wheel itself. So I guess there would be some merit <laughs> yeah, to stealing well, hubcaps. You see like a, a hubcap by the side of the road as a result of a, of a fender bender or something. Like it's usually a shard of a hubcap, yeah. right? You can't just uh, pop them off with a crowbar like, like back no. in the day. I never had a hubcap stolen, but I drove a uh, 03 Chevy Cavalier for, <laughs> for quite okay. a few years after college. And... Shortly after I was married, we before we bought our first house, we had an apartment we lived in with just, you know, out, outside parking. So I go to go to work one day and I start my car and it is loud. Like I was like, holy oh. crap. And I'm like, what the heck? So I told my husband, I'm like, can I borrow your car? And somebody had stolen my catalytic converter. Oh, so that was fun. And I, I just, I was like, but how? Cavaliers are very close to the ground. Like, how are you going to squeeze under my car? Yeah. <laughs> but I guess they do that in the, uh, for the copper. Oh, okay. So it's not about the actual part. It's just the copper. Yeah, they have, eh, I don't know, it was not fun. But luckily, because we had to get, we had to file like a police report and everything for insurance to cover it. But uh, <laughs> be careful there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I was kind of interested in, I like, Wendy here's uh, played, well, okay, first of all, my wife's father was a race car driver in the 60s. Oh, wow. How interesting. Yeah. So he and his stories from back then were so amazing. They were because he was so uh, hip. Like he was really, really cool. Like he was so cool that he taught all of his friends at the racing club this this new dance called the twist. Oh, wow. You know, like everybody was like, what's a, what's 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 this twist dance that the kids are talking about and he's like oh i know i'll I'll show you how to do it and just the the idea of this you know tall handsome race car driver teaching all his friends to this new cutting edge dance called the twist i just (laughs) it's the coolest you know but you get him started on the old racing cars and uh he could talk for for days oh that's so cool they had a they had a jaguar they had an old jaguar oh wow old porsche and stuff like that they were really into cars i don't know i moved to a, a big city when i was 15 okay my dad was a bus driver and uh i always had access to public transit and i'm mm-hmm. 48 now and i didn't get my uh driver's license till about 10 years ago like i just never 
it was always it was, the cars have never been a, a huge part of my a huge part of my life so that's another sort of i love cars i love like you're looking at an old ford or an old muscle car when it's all jazzed up and 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 shined and stuff in the in the sun is you know i get my breath taken away by it i'm oh, just like yeah. oh my gosh that's a beautiful car like i, I definitely <laughs> get the romance with cars yeah Around here, I live in uh, Northwest Ohio. Small. Yeah. So I grew up in a small town. Yeah, me too. And I live in a smaller town now. <laughs> yeah. But so it's a necessity. Yeah, yeah. When like I was sixteen, seventeen, yeah, sixteen when I got my license. I think my first car was an eighty-seven. Oh, okay. I mean, it wasn't much. I mean, it was wasn't like brand spanking new car, but I loved it anyway because <laughs> no it was my car. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we always, especially the town I live in now, they always have a summer car show. And it's just to see the cars and just all, you know, how much time and like love that the people put into keeping the cars up to date and pristine. And it's amazing. Yeah, I love, I love that when you, the car show and everybody comes out with their, with their pride and joy, just gussied up for the, for the parade and uh yeah and it's so beautiful to see and then sometimes <laughs> i remember the last time i went to one of those i saw oh i don't know it was like a 19 a 1986 car or something but it had uh collector's plates on it oh wow and i was like what that car's from 86 <laughs> yeah it shouldn't have collector's plates on it that that was only <laughs> Oh, oh, right. I guess that was like 38 years ago, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, like, I guess it has entered the realm of being a collector's car, you know? It's like, do I need a collector's plate on me? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe I need get a collector's tattoo or something. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how, how fast it all goes. Yeah, but that's a big chapter of American history too. Like that's something that George Lucas talks about is he's like, this is, he became aware because this is his youth. This movie is a movie yeah, about yeah. His, his youth driving, you know, driving this strip. And even when he made it back in 1973, like I know that there's been a lot of talk about how small towns in middle America are shrinking and disappearing and there's a collapse happening mm. outside of the metropolitan centers. But when he made this movie in 1973, it was also happening then. Like he talks about how this, you know, Main Street USA thing that he grew up in was already fading, was already going away. So that's why he made this movie because he wanted to, because he also became aware after traveling a bit that it's a uniquely American phenomenon. This, yeah. uh, you know, cruising the main street and looking for girls on the Friday night or whatever. That's, uh, yeah. it was not, that didn't happen in, in Paris, I guess, or whatever. So it's, uh, he wanted to like create a picture of that. And I think he did a bang up job. This, oh yeah. Definitely. This movie really takes you back to that chapter. Even if you if you did experience it, then it must be amazing to watch this film. That's all that's all I can imagine is that if you were yeah. actually there, this film must just take you right back. And just watching it makes I mean, me personally, it's like, man, I wish I could just go back. Yeah. Even for one day and just experience, yeah. like you said, you know, the Main Street USA, main, you know, just that for one day. <laughs> yeah. I could, I can feel the heat in the air. I can sort of smell it. There's a lot of, there's so much about the, the movie that's ambient that you really sort of, and some of the scenes, like this scene, it's allowed to take its time. Yeah. It's a nice breather. You know, there's just, there's just a, just a conversation, just a couple people talking. 
you know, and so natural. It's one thing I I, I was kind of sad to to read was that Debbie Salise, who plays Wendy, this is like it. Her only credit. Her only credit. She did. Uh, she showed up as bit parts in uh, in some other. I think she showed up like once or twice in a couple other things, very briefly. But she got a successful career in healthcare management and yep. <laughs> volunteer work for the Society for the Blind. And I was like, right on. You seem like she seems like such a nice person. Yeah. In this clip, and I get the feeling like she just wasn't acting. You know, she was just uh, just talking to Richard Dreyfus. Oh yeah. So like uh, we had said before, you know, this is. George Lucas's, you know, kind of story of his life, his growing up. And I know like the main characters like Kurt, Steve, John, and Toad are kind of all different parts of his life and mm-hmm. his personality. Is there one specific character that you kind of connect with more than others or that you kind of like were kind of like, hey, that 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 would have been me in that this time in my life? Probably Richard Dreyfus, I think, out of all of them. I was never, a, a lot of times I felt like Toad, sure, but mm-hmm. I, I wasn't actually Toad. And uh, I think a lot of young kids feel like Toad a lot, but I think a smaller percentage of them are actually Toad. <laughs> you know exactly, I mean? yeah. A, you know, being a teenager is what they say. There was a Lollapalooza Simpsons episode where they said making teenagers depressed is like shooting fish in a barrel. Like <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's uh, everybody feels alone and awkward and strange oh, and nerdy, yeah. you know, and you think that you're all alone. And and I, and I think just like you said, you know, connecting with Kurt, you feel unsure, you know, yeah. You have the indecisiveness because especially nowadays it's like by the time you're in high school or before it's like what do you want to do with your life, you know, this that or that. So you're in it's you know, you don't ever know. You don't know, so it's easy to be just so unsure of yourself and where you're going in life. Yeah, and you you really do feel like you got an eternity. Mhm. You know, like I've heard that a lot of youths feel immortal, which is why they take a lot of risks because they they feel like they're gonna feel. And I don't know. I never felt bulletproof, but I but I did feel like I had some. Like there's a in a Nightmare on Elm Street, the main character gets a little bit of gray in her hair after staying up five days in a row or something like that. And in the film, they're all they're all like uh, fifteen. And one of her friends says, you know, oh my gosh, what happened to you? You look like you're 20 years old. <laughs> like, like she's ancient. You know, she's, <laughs> and, uh, and I remember thinking that too, like 30 might as well be 60. That, yeah. uh, that, yeah. you know, 40 is the old age of youth and the youth of old age. That's something that I, that I've heard. And now I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to be, uh, 50 next year. And this, it's gone by awful quick. I'll tell you that. You know, and you hear it, you know, every person, every person my age says it. Yep. My mom always told me. (laughs) But when you're 19, you know, that's, uh, that's like, it's it's incomprehensible. You know, you're like, I don't even know what 50 is. I don't even know what 30 is. I got no idea. So the idea, yeah, being indecisive, you've got pressure on you to make a decision, but you don't. And also I never, um, we never did that, you know, graduate 
go to university, you know, sophomore, uh, prom, like that whole thing, that part of uh, American high school was not happening because I'm up in Canada. Okay. We did have school dances and stuff, but we didn't have like the king and queen of the prom or head cheerleader and, 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 uh, yeah, like football is a sport that we play up here, but I grew up in a small Canadian town in the mountains. So it was all about hockey. Oh, right? yeah. So it was like the hockey captain, captain of the hockey team, and they were the athletes and stuff, but it wasn't, it, you know, that side of it isn't quite. So I don't, I don't empathize with his decision specifically. But yeah, his kind of waffling and his kind of like, because change is coming, mm-hmm. right? And if you don't make the choices, they get made for you. And I think yep. he's he's in that, he's, you know, like the train's coming right at him and he's like, okay, what do I do? <laughs> you know, because I got to, <laughs> I got to go to school or I got to not. That's what I like in the, in the, at the close, the closing frame where it says what happened to all the characters. Yeah. Which is a bit of a downer with when it comes to Toad. I was like, oh, oh I know. Like, oh, Cause you get, you watch your movie and you, you know, he's, you connect with them and you, you kind of develop, you know, you're just like, oh, Toad. And then it's like, oh, it rips your heart out almost. Yeah. <laughs> it was really, really unexpected. I wasn't expecting that sort of punch in the heart just as, yeah. the, as the final note. But uh, Kurt ends up being a writer in Canada. Yeah. And I'm like, yay, <laughs> right on. You moved up to my, <laughs> you moved up to Canada. That's good. And you can see, I mean, you could see his character easily becoming a writer. Oh, yeah. Like I know I, we had talked before, which is ironic because the movie Stand By Me, that's exactly who Richard Dreyfuss is in that movie. He's the right. writer. <laughs> right. It's like, hmm, <laughs> foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah totally. He'd and he'd already done quite a bit before before American Graffiti, and it's you know same with Ron Howard in the next minute. Like, and I think it's refreshing in this movie that I always you know before this you know you kind of think of Greece as the yeah that teen high school movie, and it's like you know this movie American Graffiti, Charles Martin Smith, and um, he was a, you know him and Ron Howard were actually teenagers. I mean, granted they were like 18, but they Mm -hmm. were actually teenagers. Yeah. Richard Dreyfuss wasn't that much older. He was out of the teen years, but like, and then Harrison Ford, I think he had just turned 30 during filming, but it's like, so this is like the closest you get to (laughs) actual teenagers. When you think, you know, Greece, they were like (laughs) way (laughs) too old to be playing. (laughs) Way too old. And it was yeah, Greece is artifice, right? Like it's this hyper, it's a hyper real, and it's a and it's a musical. So that's a whole other reality. <laughs> There's the reality yeah. of the musical where people just burst into song. But you know, yeah, you're right. That was kind of the defining '50s movie, and then this. Uh, but this is more like this plays out like a like a documentary, like I was saying. So yeah, that's cool. That's cool that they were all so young. It lends yeah. an auth- authenticity to the movie for sure. And I love, I think we had talked about it before near the end of this section when Wendy's going to her friends out in their car and Kurt asks, you know, where they're going and she says, nowhere. And he's just kind of like, cool, you know, do you mind if I come along? Yeah. And she's just like, sure. And it made me think like, does that mean something? I mean, in the overall scope of the movie, does he equate going nowhere with stagnant? You know, with staying here equals going nowhere for him. It's hard to say. It's hard to say if there if that's 
as deep as it as deep as it sounds I, I i'm not sure but i think i mean there's something there like are her and her friends ever going to move out of this town exactly yeah you know i i don't i don't know I, but it seems to be sort of insinuating that they that they won't and i just love the ease to which he feels comfortable being like okay cool can i come and she's yeah. like sure <laughs> yeah she's like yep yeah, come on <laughs> i remember there's a bit in uh broadcast news where one of the characters gets some bad news and he's talking to a friend and his friend's like are you okay he's like yeah i just i think i just want to be alone right now and he's like okay cool i'll come with you there's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like that kind of yeah, where are you going nowhere can i come yeah sure because <laughs> it's like well nowhere means somewhere other than here so <laughs> yeah, i'll go there <laughs> drive around maybe something will happen that's kind of what this whole movie is is they're just I don't know. Let's. Uh, what do you want to do? I. I don't know. If we yeah, get. If we get something. thirsty, we'll stop for a drink. If we see someone we like the look of, we'll say, "Hey, I like the look of you." Uh, yeah. If somebody tells us about a party, we'll go to that party. Like it's a just an open-ended. See what happens Friday night, and I. I don't know. I don't. I definitely don't have many days like that these days no. and i don't remember if i i must have had a lot more back in the day you know and you just can't think of that really happening nowadays i mean just with you know just i think just with technology alone you don't really have that let's just go out and cruise yeah. and you know see what's up and we'll <laughs> we'll find we'll find something to do somewhere it's impossible to not know what's going on right yeah. now you know like right now you've got a constant updating feed of where <laughs> all your friends are and what's happening exactly so you can't just see what happens because you know yeah. exactly what's happening i always wonder about that because i you know i i, I was I lived through a long time without having a phone, uh, yep. like a smartphone and stuff. And I was like, you know, if you if someone didn't show up, you were just like, well, guess they're not. <laughs> like, who knows? Who knows what happened? Oh well. Or it's like you know, you call from your friend's house. You know, like you call home and be like, hey, we're gonna go here, and it's just you didn't. Because <laughs> yeah, I didn't until I went to college. I didn't have a phone and going through high school that was just when all of cell phone having your own cell phone was really up and coming <laughs> yeah kind of miss those days I, I i think at least <laughs> these aren't these aren't in the minutes that we cover so oh i, I don't know maybe but i really i really liked the uh the duo in the in the hot rod coupe Mackenzie Phillips and uh, the guy who's the guy driving. I forget that actor's name. But um, I love that they kind of got, they're stuck together, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's no, like, there's no, there's no will they, won't they shenanigans going on because, you know, she's like 13. And Thir yeah. He's like, you know, you know, 28 or whatever. So he's like, oh, God. So that, that aspect of the relationship isn't, isn't a part of it. It's just, it's just them getting to know each other. And I understand oh, yeah. uh, a lot about, I, I see the I just can't deny the magnetism of Harrison Ford, especially in this movie. I'm just like, wow, dude, you really got that star quality. Just mm, yeah, definitely. It's just a slow drawl, and uh, just every scene he's in, he's like, all right, there's there's some important person that your eyes want to stay on, you know? Oh yeah, yeah. This one's I really. I like young Richard Dreyfus. I like old Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's so charming and there's something about him. You know, there's something earnest about him, I think, is what is is what what comes across. Is even when he's performing, he seems like he really means what he's what he's saying. Yeah. You know, I I don't think I've ever I've seen him in some bad movies, but I've never seen him in a be bad. 
or be yeah be unauthentic or be un I don't think I've ever seen him just go through the motions and pay the bills or yeah. or his version of going through the motion and paying the bills still comes across as as, as authentic and direct and yeah he's and he's at home in in comedy and drama and it's it's all here he he reminds me a little bit of uh, Mickey Rooney I guess oh yeah I know you know with that, that kind of like not a handsome person but a really charming person yeah, yeah there's something there Right where you're like, yeah, this. I want to. I want to know this person. I want to. I want to. Yeah. I want to hear him talk some more. You know, like, mm-hmm. what's what's he gonna do? Is he gonna go to school? Is he gonna stay here? What's he? You know, like I care. You know, I'm invested yeah. in this character. Oh, here's a question for you. Do you think the pharaohs would have dragged him behind the car? I don't see. I don't like you said before. You know, just his natural personality and character, and just as himself, I would think he would find a way to befriend them. <laughs> Yeah, and he kind of does, right? Yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love this uh, this short scene here. I could watch these two talk for like another half hour. Oh, I know. If it was, if it was like, uh, what was that? Like before sunset or before sunrise? The the before sunset trilogy or whatever. Mm, yeah. If it was a movie about Kurt and Wendy just walking around their small town talking and getting to know each other, I'd watch that in a second. That'd be neat to see. I mean, just those two interact and then kind of like a version of this movie, but just with those two going around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to see that. That would be great. Yeah. Such a such a charming minute. Well, do you have anything else for this minute 17? I don't think so. I got lots to talk about for the, for the next one. So I think, right. um, yeah, I think that's good. I just, I really, I just want to honestly say this is one of my favorite minutes in the film, and I, I really, really enjoyed the excuse to watch American Graffiti. But also, just I'm really happy that I got this minute to talk about because it's such a charming, beautiful minute. And I think you're right. This is when the seed gets planted that he might, he's got to make a decision. Well, with that, we will wrap up minute 17 and join us back tomorrow for minute 18 of American Graffiti, song by song. And we will actually have a song to talk about. So catch us back here tomorrow for more American Graffiti, not the sequel. I shouldn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We're not talking about the sequel. He's really fast, isn't he?